Our passage this morning is 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, As you turn to 1 Corinthians 13, uh, I'm excited to preach this morning. It's been a couple of months. I'm ready to get back into it. We'll see how it goes. Uh, Corinthians is one of the more difficult books for me, if I'm being perfectly honest. When I engage in Corinthians, it feels much more like I'm wrestling with this book. There's so much that's going on. And Paul has to address so many issues. The church is wild. I mean, if, some, if we at Westminster had a quarter of the problems that the Corinthian church had, we would be the most scandalous church in Sumter. I mean, they're, they're to the point where they're using their spiritual gifts and lording it over each other. And they're, they're so angry with each other, they're just outright suing one another. They're, they're, they're bragging about which teacher they follow. It's crazy to me. Every time I read this book, I was like, this is crazy. And then we get to this chapter. And we've come across this beautiful passage on love. One of the most point, quoted passages in scriptures. And Paul is saying, look, all the things you're allotting, all the things you are elevating... Uh, They're pointless without love. And so this is what love is. Also, this is what love is not. Uh, So let us read this passage, this wonderful passage on love. This again, 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so as to move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned and have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and Endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy, prophecy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up my childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know full, even as I have been fully known. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we continue to discuss this wonderful passage on love, I ask that you may press upon us what true love is. I ask that the Holy Spirit 
use your words, not mine, this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. It's always interesting to figure out which sermons I get assigned. Actually, we don't, I don't not really assign sermons. Stuart makes the whole list. And then we sit down, and then we work out which ones I'm going to preach. And if I don't write it down, I usually forget. And I prepare for the wrong message. Uh, so that's how I landed on irritable this morning, and resentful, and how love is not irritable or resentful, which is a little apropos, because... I do tend to be a little irritable. Uh, I may be known I, for my mumbling, but I do certainly mumble. Uh, I will even grumble in German if I'm very irritable. But I have to be careful with that because there's at least one youth that actually speaks German better than I do. And so I will grumble and she will correct my German, <laughs> which is really comforting when you're irritated. I even go on drives to, uh, to really express my frustration. It looks, so if you see me driving around and it looks like I'm listening to one of Stuart's playlists and I'm really jamming out to some heavy rock music, uh, usually it's because I'm actually frustrated and I'm expressing my frustra- frustration. I'm probably listening to Edward's Grieg uh, pastoral suite try to calm myself down. Matter of fact, a dear friend of mine asked me what I was preaching on this week, and I responded with my head hanging low, and by hanging low, it was pinned to the desk. You know, love is not irritable. And love is. Love is not irritable or resentful, and I'm going to keep things simple this morning. That's our main point this morning. Love is not irritable or resentful. So, two parts to the sermon this morning. We'll keep it, keep it easy. Uh, so let's start with this. Love is not irritable. And if I'm being perfectly honest, I'm a little irritated at this translation of irritable. Now, Paul laughs at me, uh, life group Paul, not the apostle Paul. He laughs at me because I've expressed uh, frustrations with uh, people using Greek during their teaching lessons. And then, of course, I'm up here like, I feel like the ESV failed me a little bit on this. So, because this word is a little difficult to translate. So in full acknowledgement of my own hypocrisy, let's talk about the Greek a little bit. Uh, Thistleton and his Greek commentary that when we're looking at this word that Paul uses once in all of his letters, Thistleton says, well, we probably need a few sentences to get the meaning and the force across of what he's trying to say. And then he writes two paragraphs on this word. So when we're talking about irritable, let's, let's slow down a little bit. Let's remember, Paul starts this passage, love is patient. And so that idea is still very much pervasive in this divinely inspired writing. But love is not only 
patient. Love is not easily provoked to anger. That's starting to get more to what Paul means by irritable. Uh, the, probably the best example in Scripture of this is the only other time the root of this word is used, uh, is Acts 17. Paul is going to Greece and he sees a bunch of statues built of all of these false gods. Uh, all these Greek gods and Paul looks at it and is like, this is, this is a parade of idolatry. This is a parade of evil and he's provoked to anger. Of course he is. Why wouldn't he be? He's looking at sin being glorified. Of course he's provoked to anger. Paul has no love for the Greek gods. The same way we have no love for Satan. So when we are talking about love, and what love is and what love is not, that exasperation and anger that comes with facing pure evil, love, love has no part of that. When we're loving God, when we're loving our neighbor, we are not provoked. Not in the same way that evil provokes us. We're not provoked to anger. We're not... Love is not provoked to snide comments. Yet, patience is indeed a part of this, but it's more than simply patience. Love has a beautiful, long-suffering, forbearance quality to it. This... Forbearance, that is a trademark quality to love. To be slow to anger, to be long-suffering. If we are to love, that is necessary. The Old Testament prophets, they bring this up time and time again. Uh, God, in talking to Moses in Exodus, uh, he's receiving the tablets for the second time. Keep in mind, this isn't the first time God has given him the Ten Commandments. This is the second time. And the Lord passes before him and proclaims, The Lord, the Lord our God, is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And faithfulness. Again, uh, the writers of the Old Testament pick up on this idea. They, they heed the Lord when he says this. Nehemiah, uh, as he is praying and he's trying to rebuild Israel. Rebuild this, this city. And he's finding so much resistance. And he prays this. He says, they, that is Israel, refuse to obey. And we're not mindful of the wonders you performed among them. But they stiffen their neck. 
and appointed a leader to return their, to their slavery in Egypt. But God... Yeah, there you are. But you are a God. Right? He turns his prayer to the Lord. But you are a God, ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And he did not forsake them. So again, Israel, open rebellion, merciful, pillar of fire guiding them through Egypt. And like, yeah, we want to go back to Egypt. Yeah, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Joel 2 is calling Israelites to repentance. And he says, rend your hearts and not your garments. Right, don't make a show of repentance. Repent. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And then Jonah, a prophet who is known for his irritability. I, this is one of the reasons I, I click with Jonah. I love the book, because it hits home so hard. Jonah, irritated at the very character of the Lord, provoked to anger, because he praised the Lord, and he said, Oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. If you're not familiar with the story of Jonah, he's going to Nineveh. And God has proclaimed disaster for Nineveh, which is an enemy of Israel. And Jonah's like, that's good. I don't even have to go. And so he leaves. And this is why he leaves. For I knew as Jonah knows that you are a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. In all of these passages, God, who is love, is described first as gracious and merciful. That he is slow to anger and he abounding and abounding in steadfast love. In the same description David uses in Psalm 86, 103, 145, it comes up time and time again in the Old Testament. James harkens back to this in his letter, and Paul here, when he says, Love is not irritable calls to mind the way that God loves us and that he is slow to anger because he is gracious and merciful. He is slow to anger and he abounds in his steadfast love. So I ask you, is your love steadfast? Does it come with Grace and mercy. Are you indeed slow to anger? Or does it shift every time your pride takes a wound?
If we desire to be believers in love in a way that is distinctive, uh, if we want to have a love that is different from the feeble view of love that the world offers, if we're going to love with the same depth of Christ, the love that He has for His people, then we must abound in the steadfastness of that love. We must abound in that love. We must be slow to anger. We must not be exasperated every time something doesn't go our way. Every time there is a frustration or a hindrance to our desires. We must not be moved or shaken from that love. Merely because an injustice is done against us. Now that is not to say we ignore the iniquity of others. Uh, love takes no delight in unrighteousness, and Stuart will discuss that next week in his sermon. Paul does address this. But there are times in which others will sin against us and we will sin against others, but if we are to love, We must love in a manner that can forbear the sin of others. Love in a manner that has grace and mercy. Love in a manner that is slow to anger. And it's not just that we are not exasperated by our neighbor. But we must, not, we must also not be resentful if we want to truly love. Again, in fullness of my hypocrisy, uh, resentful, not the most helpful translation. It gets to it. Uh, but it could be probably elongated uh, to more of... The, Love does not keep a record of wrongs, right? There's no, there's no scoreboard, right? If we're loving, it's not like we have a big list uh, that we keep on a scroll. Apparently, we, it's not like we have a big list. Like these are the times in which you have wronged me, and I said nothing. Look how loving I am. I'm doing well. The fact that I'm even talking to you right now, that our friendship has been maintained, that's pretty gracious on my part. Now I realize, most of you, I'm going to assume, I assume a lot of things and sometimes that gets me in trouble, uh, but I'm going to assume most of you don't have an actual scoreboard of the wrongs that uh, other people have committed against you. But if I reframed it as, what if we held a grudge, I think that might hit more people in this room. Because we like to nurture our grudges. We, we, grudges are something we hold on to. Right? It provides a safe harbor for the ill will that we hold against others. 
and you hold on to this grudge, they've wronged me, and I'm going to forgive them, but I'm going to remember. And I'm writing that because they wronged me, and I am just, and I'm just, and they did the injustice. And you hold on to it. Right? We, we say, all is forgiven, but we're not going to forget. Uh, and so in practice, you say, yes, I forgive my brother, I forgive my sister for their sin against me. But I won't forget. So, in my wisdom, I will never ever trust that person again. In my wisdom, while I'll forgive them, I will never share any vulnerabilities. No. I forgive, but I won't forget. And you end up never truly hoping with them. You never truly practice your faith with them. You never, again, share one another's burdens the way you should. You, you don't pray for them as you should. You don't hope with them. You don't practice faith with them. You never truly love them again. And if you cannot forgive, you, you cannot love. If you hold on to this list of wrongdoings, if you sit here and like, I will not forget this. I will claim this. I'll keep it with me just in case. Then you cannot love. You cannot love. You, you, when you hold on, you're holding a person's sin against them. You're placing yourself as a judge over them. You're not loving them. You will completely and utterly destroy any hope of reconciliation. All dreams of a truly restored relationship, that goes out the window. If you desire peace between your brother or sister who have sinned against you, but you're not willing to truly forgive them for the wrongs that they have committed against you, you will not, will not, find that peace. And this, I mean, this sinful nature, that is, that is hard to do. It is easy to hold on to a grudge. The Corinthians were experts at it. Again, this church was a mess. They very much kept account of the wrongs that others did against them within the church. And it wasn't a matter of just, oh, yeah, no. That person wronged me. I'm holding on to this. No, it was a, they made it a matter of public information because they took him to court. Sued him. Now, I'm about to read from chapter 6. So I do, as I go into it, do keep in mind, Paul is not saying we ignore sin against one another. That is not where Paul is going with this. But he's going to ask a couple of pretty bold questions here. 
Um, and that may bother us a little bit. And he says, but brother goes to law against brother. And that before unbelievers? To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. You've already lost. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you, yourselves, wrong and defraud, even your own brothers. Now, Paul goes on to say he wants the church courts to actually absolutely handle it. We, this, is a matter, this is a matter of church discipline and the reason church discipline is so important and why our election of elders is vital to the health of our church. But he's, he asked boldly to the Corinthians, why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? There's not much room for pride after such questions. Because it, it, is, it is the way of the world to seek our own self-interest. The way of the believer, we should seek reconciliation. That is the way of love. That is what we should seek. We should be quick to demonstrate grace. We should be quick to demonstrate mercy. The Lord pours out these things, grace and mercy. He pours that out unto us. So we should pour out unto others. We should show that mercy. We should show that grace. We need to practice these things. We need to love one another. But when we feed our resentment, when we keep account of wrongs, we are denying grace and mercy toward our brothers and sisters in Christ. And there is no love in that denial. So, let us remember the love of Christ. Let us remember how He has loved us. Because it is hard. This is difficult. I know this is not an easy task not to hold on to our resentments. But as Paul writes to his second letter to the Corinthians, he lets them know Christ, despite our own rebellions against him, the injustices we do to the Savior, Christ pursues reconciliation. And Paul writes this, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So once again, if you're keeping track, the world has rebelled against God. We have made an enemy of the Creator. We fled from God. 
But when it comes to Jesus, our God and Savior, who was in heaven being worshipped as he deserves, came to earth, took on flesh, and suffers on behalf. And let's be clear, he does indeed suffer. His hometown wants to throw him off a cliff. He dies for us on the cross. Conquers death, ascends to heaven, and takes the evil that we do upon himself and gives us his love and righteousness. He shows us his grace and mercy. And in that love, he is slow to anger and he forgives us the sins that we have committed and the broken relationship that we have with the Lord and Savior of the universe. Christ heals it. He provides this marvelous reconciliation. He makes it right. And so when we love and we if we are to love with patience and the joy that comes with the love of the gospel, we need to love with a ministry of reconciliation. We need to love with a heart that repairs the messy relationships that we have in our lives, the broken and damaged when we should seek this out. For if we do not, we can't say, I am loving my God and I am loving my neighbor as myself. So if we're going to love with a love that is distinctive of our faith, that is distinctive of the cross, it must be a love that looks to heal, that pursues grace, that pursues mercy. Much in the same way Christ pursued these things to heal our broken relationship with Him. I know this is difficult. It is not an easy call. It is a call to meekness. It is a call to set aside your pride. But it is a call to set aside your vanity. What it is a call to, though, is a call to love. We leave the justice to the Lord. And we pursue reconciliation when we love one another. So I'll close with this. Let us abound in steadfast love and pursue reconciliation. Let us look to Christ in all things. Let us look to Christ in love. Let's look at His grace and mercy and his steadfast love, and his slowness to anger. Let us go and do likewise and pursue these amazing, beautiful qualities of our Lord. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, loving others is difficult. There are times in which I know I desire to hang on to 
injustices, not willing to truly forgive, paying lip service to the beauty of the love that you have given me. And I pray that is your love, your slowness to anger, your way you reconcile us to you. I ask that is a trademark of our relationships with one another and our relationship with the world that we may point others to the great and true love of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.